what is this relationship with the universe that I find myself in? Like I'm, I am in relationship with the world around me. So I want to dance. Like what, what do you want to show me? What do you want me to do? print friends, and welcome. I'm your host, Miranda Metcalf. This is a bilingual podcast, so if you subscribe to us, you'll be getting episodes in English with me, as well as in Spanish with Ronaldo Hilsenbrano. Together, we speak to people from around the globe about their practice and passions in the field of print media and multiples. Hello, Print Friend is brought to you by Speedball Art Products, who've been a leading innovator and manufacturer of printmaking products for over 50 years. Speedball's screens answer the call to have an easy-to-use way to screen print no matter what your experience level. Whether printing at home, studio, or classroom, these easy-to-use mesh screens allow you to create permanent photographic stencils without the need to mix a motion or coat a screen. All you need is your design and you are ready to print. Pick up the Speed Screen Kit for the most affordable way to get the materials you need to print your next masterpiece. There's a link in the show notes. This episode is also brought to you by Legion Paper. Legion is a fine art paper company representing the best papers in the world. They either stock it, source it, or make it. With brands like Stonehenge, Somerset, Coventry, Reeves, Arches, and more, Legion is the best paper resource for every artist's and printmaker's needs. Learn more about the variety of paper Legion stocks at www.legionpaper.com. My guest this week is Frank Rose, owner and director of Echo Gallery and Echo Amano in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We talk about how he went from artist to gallerist, curation as a creative act, falling in love with the printmaking of Oaxaca, and the possible ghosts in his basement. So, without further ado, sit back, relax, and prepare to step out from behind the desk with Frank Rose. Hi Frank, how's it going? It's going great. How are you? I'm really good. I'm really good. I feel like this is one of the funnest places I've ever done an interview before. <laughs> we are in the basement of one of your galleries, and we're both wearing matching merch yeah. to keep warm yeah. of your gallery. Well, the lore says that there's tunnels underneath downtown where people may have escaped from brothels in years past. So there could be a tunnel on the other side of those bricks. We'll just imagine there is. Yeah, and maybe some ghosts. Mm-hmm. I'm going to hope for ghosts. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to have this chat with you. I was actually in Santa Fe working just down the road from your first gallery mm-hmm. for quite some time before I even knew what you were doing, which is a little insane because yeah. you have an incredible dedication to printmaking and what you show. And, you know, when I, when I discovered it, I think the part that I'll probably could cut out is I had a little moment of like, oh, I wish I was working at this gallery. You know? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. because I, I just felt very aligned with your mission and your aesthetic. And so I'm just excited almost, I think, probably a year and some change after we've met to mm-hmm. get to know how you ended up where you are. Totally. Yeah, it is hard, though, to get out in my experience to other galleries, Mm -hmm. you know, when you're kind of in one and at the end of the day, you're like, 
I'm kind of done in the art gallery today. I don't want to go to another one. So it yeah. definitely takes some pumping up to get out to openings and stuff. I'm still trying to kind of get back into the rhythm of that. Yeah. But yeah, so Chuomano, we opened that space in February of 2019. So we've just hit a little over four years there. And in April of last year, we opened Echo Gallery downtown Santa Fe. Echo Mano, as you mentioned, is very printmaking focused, and Echo Gallery is more one of a kind's mostly painting and ceramic sculpture is the focus downtown. So I started working in galleries in Santa Fe in 2008 when I first moved here. First space I worked in was actually two doors down from here from from Echo Gallery. And uh, more of a sort of stereotypical kind of southwestern gallery, you know, when people think of what the Santa Fe art market is, that's that's what people generally think uh-huh. of. Your kind of romantic landscape, white people painting native people, mm-hmm. a lot of the that kind of real stereotypical. So that was my introduction to the Santa Fe art market, which was a shock. I moved here from Houston. I, before that, was running an arts magazine. I worked for a photography nonprofit. I had started an artist-run space in Houston, and my got a BFA in photography and digital media. So I was just sharing earlier that I had just kind of realized, hey, wait a second, that's kind of a printmaking degree, mm-hmm. uh, a form of printmaking anyway. We all started off in the darkroom, and by the time I graduated, they had changed the degree name from photography to photography slash digital media. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you're in that, that transitional period it was, in, it was. in photography. Yeah, so photography was kind of like my my sort of base reference point for for any kind of art practice personally and then so moving here and working in a gallery was kind of just out of necessity my wife was going to massage school and I needed to make some money so that's where I ended up and it was a great sort of education in terms of just what the existing art market here was like and and seeing how that operated I I learned things there that I've taken with me that are helpful, and there's certainly a lot that I discarded. But we worked there for about seven years, and the last six, seven months of it, I was the director there, and that was a really challenging experience because I didn't really resonate so much with a lot of the work and got to the point where I didn't feel like I could represent it if I didn't feel passionate about it. Yeah. And so six months in, I, was, I had to go. I was making more money there than I've ever made in my life, but it just wasn't worth it. You know, it, I felt like I, I, I couldn't be myself and, I, and I, I wasn't representing work, I think, that in just an honest way, in an authentic mm-hmm. way. So I left there not really knowing what I was doing, ended up working for Current's New Media Festival for a year, helping them with their 2014 or 15 show, I forget which one, and they're a new media arts organization here in Santa Fe, do a festival every June, did one year with them and met one of their board members, Sandy Zane, Mm -hmm. through that experience. And she was in the process of wanting to start a new project. And so we worked together to start Form and Concept. 
And that was a really wonderful experience from the standpoint of like having the freedom to kind of just really do whatever we wanted. And so it gave me the opportunity to sort of act as, as curator, whereas before I was just kind of implementing their existing program, you know, and, and at FNC, it was, it was really an opportunity to really get creative with it and kind of find out like what my curatorial energy was like. And so it was there for about four years and got to a point where I realized I needed to do my own thing, you know. And so I ended up leaving there in 2018, I believe. And and then Etro Mono started in in 19, so like six months later or something. Mm. So it was kind of a a wild ride. Yeah. Yeah. And had you done any curation hitherto or been interested in museum studies or the commercial gallery world at all or was it sort of just necessity then bred interest kind of is a little bit of both so right when i was when i was in school we had a, a an installation class and at the end of the the semester everybody had to do an installation off campus so a friend of mine had a salon in the museum district in houston and I asked him if I could do my installation at his place. It was just, it was a house that he had a salon in. And then there was a living room area where people could just hang out. And it was kind of empty. So I was like, oh, this could be a great place to do do an installation. And so he said, yeah. And then he said, well, your your wife, Kara, she's, would she want to do a show too? Maybe you could do a two-person show. Oh, great idea. So so we figured out a show and submitted like a just basic press release. And somehow the the local alt weekly, the Houston press picked up the show and did like a little preview thing. It's like, what? Cause we're just no name, <laughs> you know, nobody knows who we are, but they thought it was cool and ended up having like 200 people come out to the opening, all these people we didn't know. And it was just like, what is this? What is what's happening? And then Tim got so excited that he was like the, the salon owner. He was like, well, do you want to do it again? Like this could be like a little gallery. And I was like, Oh, that's a great idea. So we ran that space as a gallery for a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, nobody made any money. We had a great time. We threw great parties and showed a lot of really fun work. So that was definitely a seed planter. You know, it really helped me kind of see, although I wasn't completely aware of it at the time, I was still thinking I was moving towards being a studio artist, but that helped me kind of see the joy and what it could be like to, to hold space for other artists and to kind of have like a, a larger sort of project to manage, which I've ultimately found I need a lot of those kinds of things. So as someone who, who came to gallery work and curation and literally the commercial and public facing side of the art world, mm-hmm. but also as a maker, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear you talk about curation as a creative practice because that I think is there and I think doesn't necessarily get the accolades it can deserve Mm -hmm. at least in my opinion maybe I'm biased as a curator yeah (laughs) yeah so it's I definitely come at it from a very intuitive place I don't have a lot of art history background I'm not an academic person I don't consider myself intellectual um, and, and so a lot of what I do goes off of feel and, and what I've kind of learned over the past few years is how to be more honest with myself and what is moving me 
I've been reading Rick Rubin's book lately, which has been really helpful in the, just the way that he's able to like say things so concisely. I really resonate with, with his way of working. So yeah, it's, it definitely feels like art making to me and, and, and not just curation of say artists and exhibitions, but the, the creativity that goes into creating a space into holding space and, and what that space does and how it exists in the world. So for me, like having, having a project, like I mentioned with a lot of moving parts is something that I've found I really needed to feel like I have access to my own creativity, to be able to look at all of the different variables and, and play with them and figure out the ways in which they work together. You know, I think of it a little bit like chemistry and like, how do these different chemical elements come together in a way that that makes sense for me on an intuitive level. I, in a lot of ways, like I doing this helps me figure out what I'm doing. Uh-huh. <laughs> like I feel like I come at it in a way that's like, oh, I think this will work. I think this will work. I think this will work. Let's put these together. And I may not know why they worked until years later. I feel like this practice helps me learn about myself in much the same way that I think art making does. And I'll go back and say, this is art making in the way that people think about art making does for artists. It, it helps me understand how I see the world. Mm. And so I get so many people asking me like, is this, is this all yours? You know, they're talking about the art yeah, and, yeah. And, and a lot of times they'll say, uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> but then I have to explain myself, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. Totally. I remember getting that at, when I worked at Davidson and you would have, I don't know, like a, a Gustave Doré who's been dead well over a hundred years mm-hmm. next to mm-hmm. a contemporary political piece. And it's like, is this all yours? Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're mm-hmm. like, no, no. But it's, I, I do, I think it's something that people in the art world we have we get a certain we tickled by that question but mm-hmm. i always saw it too as someone looking for a four way mm-hmm. into wanting to talk about the work and i would always welcome that totally. for sure totally because the very fact that someone's going out on a limb and talking to a gallerist that's it can be a really intimidating thing for sure yeah for sure yeah. i mean cuz especially well in both places i mean santa fe is a tourist art market so you know, we get people coming here that have all different levels of understanding and familiarity with art and plenty of folks that maybe have never gone into a gallery. So, so like you said, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's wanting to find a way in and talk about it. And, and we really, really encourage that. I mean, I know a lot of galleries can feel intimidating and that's a priority for us is, is making both of our spaces feel comfortable enough that even if you're not a buyer, like, please come in, like experience this. Yeah, totally. I want to circle back for a second mm-hmm. when we were talking about curation as creative practice, because yeah. you used a phrase that I really liked that I would love to hear you dive a little bit deeper into, which is the idea of this works. Mm-hmm. And I know what that mm-hmm. means mm-hmm. because I've put together plenty of show in my time right. in the art world. And I know it. It's like it's like that feeling when things come into harmony. It's like you're you're trying to find a dissonant chord and you find one that that works. Mm-hmm. I know the feeling, but 
I would love to hear how you would describe it because I'm not sure right. I would know how I would describe it. Uh, yeah, well, thanks a lot, Miranda, because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's 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 a complete, it's a mystery for sure. Because I'm not. It's funny. I don't really feel like I'm very skilled at talking about how I see the world. The, doing this work helps me again, like I said, to understand how I see the world. And it tells me over time, like, Oh, right. That's, that's why I was doing that in this, how something works. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it is about my intuitive sense of feeling contentment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a very reflective process where like, if I'm, if I'm putting two things together, I could probably, if I really put my mind to it, figure out why I think they work well together on an intuitive level. This thing, put two things next to get next to each other. These work, these two don't. Why? It's not something I actually really feel like I get a lot of enjoyment or, or even understanding out of kind of breaking it down that that clearly in the moment. I think what it what it is for me is I really love the process of unfolding understanding mm. that like watch it like just doing and and then having that understanding kind of wash over me over time. Like it sort of like reveals itself. Which is in a way kind of how I came to printmaking. Like I didn't seek it out. Like it was a doorway that showed up and I walked through. And in a certain way, like things working together, I feel it and I understand it later. And and it's really about coming into a deeper sense of trust in in my feeling that that that's a valid form of information. A lot of times I think not only is it not encouraged, but maybe we're taught to sort of trust our feel, distrust our feelings, that that it's it's not valid, that it doesn't give real information, that whatever, whatever. It's but but that how we feel and how we intuit something gives us a lot of information, even if we aren't able to sort of break it down verbally or intellectually, but that there's like a huge amount of information there. But for me, in my experience, it takes a lot of time to kind of unpack it. And, and I think getting comfortable with that is a process doing something, even if I don't understand it, like I'm still learning that big time, you know, like there's something that moves me and I, and I say, okay, let's do it. It's still uncomfortable. Mm. because I want to understand it and I may not, you know? Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good way of putting all of that because it gets to one of my deeply held beliefs about art is that the reason it's a valuable form of communication, why we're not just writing essays is because it does access places that we can't get to verbally or intellectually. Mm -hmm. And that the act of preparing a body of work for it to sing its most beautiful song or its most effective song also exists in that space yeah. of, of, I remember when I first started at Davidson, I'd come from this very intellectual art history master's degree. And I thought that's how we were going to jury shows. I thought that's mm-hmm. how we were going to curate shows. And what it really turned out was me and Sam Davidson leaning pieces up against the wall. 
mm-hmm. and moving them around. And then just for some reason we could both go, this is great, but that corner doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And you just knew it and mm-hmm. you just could feel it in your bones. And, and then it goes up. And I think like, like many things in the world, the real, when you're performing it at a very high level, it almost becomes invisible mm-hmm. because the curation shouldn't get in the way mm-hmm. of the art, mm-hmm. you know, I, and, and it it's doing its job to, to let the art connect, like to create the ideal circumstances for the art to be experienced. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I went to a show recently that the, the curation was, was really heavy handed and, and I think with good reason, the curator, I think, had something really good to say. But at the same time, I think often that can get in, in the way of, of, a, of an individual artwork and maybe thinking about, well, what, what was the artist's intent? What were they thinking about? Like, why did they make this piece? And, and so I think it's, it's, a, it's a balance. Like, my, my process is super light touch, super light touch. I, I try not to do too much and and really let the art kind of tell its own story which maybe dovetails into what you brought up earlier yeah yeah i I'd, I'd love to hear more about how printmaking found you oh yeah which you alluded to sure 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 so i when i was still working at form and concept i took a trip down to oaxaca and i didn't didn't know why why i was there what i was getting myself into but like lo and behold there's like 50 print shops and i was just marvel i was like what is going on why are there so many print shops here why are there so many printmakers and it's like there's so much good work and and that was kind of like my first sort of like run in with a sort of density of that medium we had we had printmaking at at Foreman Concept. There's a side business named Bennett that focuses on on printmaking, kind of blue chip, more well known artists. So I definitely it was in my life, but but seeing just like the sheer concentration of print, and in a way that is kind of like a little bit more of the streets, like because I mean literally, there's so many printmakers down there. One of the reasons is because of some of the teacher strikes that had happened that inspired a lot of people to make signs and do wheat paste and things like that. But anyway, yeah, running into that was kind of a revelation. And again, at that time, I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to start my own gallery. But again, it planted that seed. And, you know, meeting meeting other artisans down there as well, ceramicists, weavers, etc., and then, so when it came time when I was like, okay, I got to do my own thing. What's it going to be? I mean, I didn't know, but I had made friendships with printmakers down there. And I was like, nope, I don't know anybody that's showing this kind of work. Definitely not in Santa Fe. I don't think in New Mexico and not so much in the U.S. You know, this kind of, this this work from Oaxaca specifically. I just didn't know that anybody was really promoting it. And so I was like, okay, this is a window. This is a doorway. And and we had, I had connections there. The ceramic, the person who runs a ceramics collective that I know did folk art market here in Santa Fe the year before and had like a hundred pieces in storage in Santa Fe and was like, Oh, I'll consign them to you. And it's like, okay, great. Well that works. So like there's this Oaxaca connection and I was like, okay, so we can ride off of that. 
And I just started talking to the printmakers that I knew and was like, hey, would you be interested in starting a gallery with me and sending some work up? And and that's just kind of how it started. And they introduced me to more people and it just kind of spun out from just a few artists, you know, and, and I just leaned into it. You know, I think I'm the kind of person that that finds the open doors. I I don't feel like I get a lot of momentum from creating a vision and then going for it. I like to sort of throw a lot of seeds out and see what sprouts and then kind of play with that. And if something works, great. If it doesn't, move on. Mm. Find it, finding where those open spaces are. And that's that's just what showed up. And so I, w- I ran with it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so interesting. I really identify with that way of just kind of feeling your way forward and then moving into the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. being the the river that's like, oh, it actually is going downhill a little bit more over here. I think that's where I need to be and that yeah. sort of thing. I struggled with that a bit in the past in thinking that somehow I wasn't being myself by doing that or... Or even like coming to terms with my my sense of curation as being kind of a more intuitive practice that somehow I wasn't I wasn't being a true artist or like and I needed to be inserting myself more into the work and 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 what what I've just realized is well this is me like this is what works for me this is what I do oh okay like that's not getting away from anything that's not my own you know it's very much a part of me it just so happens that like I like to create containers that are big enough to allow for to be moved to not force an idea if it's not working because I think it's the most brilliant idea but to be like what what is this relationship with the universe that I find myself in? Like I'm, I am in relationship with the world around me. So I want to dance. Like, what, what do you want to show me? What do you want me to do? You know? And it's not that I'm just going to like take whatever comes down the road, but the things that are going to show up, show up because I'm in relationship to them. It's chemistry, right? I'm not, I'm not going to move in a direction that doesn't align with me, you know? Because there's not going to be no resonance, yeah. you know. So it's not it's not that I'm like standing out in the thunderstorm and just like strike me with lightning. Whatever <laughs> comes my way is fine. Yeah, you know. There's a deep relationship happening. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I love that. What do you see your role as a gallerist mm-hmm. as? Mm-hmm. Your your conduit, your gatekeeper. And I say this as mm-hmm. as having spent many years as a gallerist myself. You have a a position of power and trust, mm. obviously. And then you're showing work from outside of your culture of origin mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. and being respectful of that. I think I'd just love to hear you talk about that kind of philosophy of that complexity right. of having the role that, that you do have. Right, yeah. I mean, in 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 a nutshell, it's get out of the way. <laughs> you know, that's that's the thing that I try to embody as much as possible you know when especially working with mexican artists that i see it as how can i help how can i hold space how can i make this space open enough for your story to come through you know i i I really don't want to be in a position where i'm saying i know anything about Mesoamerican culture, because I really don't. I I have relationships with people, 
And that I think is the most important thing that I can do is, is to have a close enough relationship that, that can be built on a trust that says like, I'm, I'm here just to hold space. I'm just here to like be the screen that you can project on. Like, that's it. You know, certainly like my, my viewpoint comes in and cause I'm, I work with one artist and not another. Right. So I'm definitely making choices there, but I guess when it comes to like what story is being told, I really try to get out of the way. And there's certain, certain ways in which I can't, like I said, because I am choosing one artist and not another, but yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's a, that's a tricky one because like there, there have, and, and I've, and I've been in galleries where that, that feel like theft, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. where, where it's not, it's not a practice of being a sounding board or holding, just holding that space, being open to, to hold somebody else's story and let that be told clearly. So I, I certainly want to be sensitive to that. And, and I feel, I feel pretty good about it. I mean, and, and part of that is because I can keep, keep coming back to the artist and, and, and ask, like, are you happy? Mm-hmm. Is, does this feel good to you? Like, do you feel like you're being heard? You know, and if not, then we make an adjustment, you know? So I think that that's the most important thing is, is get out of the way and know your artists, like be their friends. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And have that, I think that kind of continued evolution that you're speaking to of not being like, Oh, I'm done. I'm a good guy. Crack the code, you know, sure. but that, that have holding space for that open dialogue and, and looking and knowing that things like these are complicated and they're moving targets and there's no such thing as doing anything in the world perfectly, mm-hmm. let alone something like this. But knowing that you need to continue to come to it every day with the, the good faith, I mm-hmm. think is, is, yeah, is mm-hmm. definitely in there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really, I think the relationships are at the core of it because, and, and also the humility of like recognizing like importance with a big eye and importance <laughs> with a little eye, right? Like, I, I do feel like what we're doing is important in the sense of of holding space, but important in like we're just humans. Like we're just doing this thing that we've been doing for millennia and like making art. And like that's you know, that it's it's as everyday as it gets. It's food. And in that sense, it's just common. It's just human. It's everybody. And, and, and in that sense, it is also important. Yeah. It is important and not important. Yeah. <laughs> I love that you're talking about the important and not important and big and little I, because I feel like I'm always flip-flopping like that myself when I think about what I do. Mm-hmm. Whereas if I record a interview with someone and I realize I didn't have the good mic turned on I can just beat myself up over that and then I'm like well it's not really that important but it is important because it's this person's story you know mm-hmm. all of these sorts of things and it 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 both can be true I completely understand that feeling of the gravity and the lightness mm-hmm. in the same time being in the art world yeah. yeah I think one way to look at it is sort of inclusive and exclusive right I think that there's a kind of pretentious sense of importance that comes from exclusivity you know it's important because it's separate because it's different because it's not this thing and it's this thing and it's 
big and above something else. And I think that there can be an importance that comes from inclusivity because, you know, like food is important. We need to eat to survive. That's important, you know, and in a similar kind of way, I think creation and, and art and beauty and like telling stories is just as human. Like it's just been with us since the beginning, you know? And so in that sense, it's very important, but Mm. that because it's inclusive, yeah, because it's everybody. Totally. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that I really connected with, with both of your spaces is you definitely can feel that this is not a place where you're not supposed to feel like you're supposed to be there. Mm -hmm. And there are lots of gallery spaces in the world where you definitely feel like you don't need to be there because they're already on the phone with the collector in Hong Kong, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's really important to me in part because like I, so going through, through school, the program that I was in was, highly conceptual and and really pushed us hard to kind of in a way understand what we were doing before we did it and it kind of killed my drive to make art for a long time and and I think that that can come from that sort of big eye importance you know it's like not it doesn't leave room for other ways of working and making and and it really pushed an agenda that didn't resonate with me and i think i think the art world quote unquote muse- institutions galleries and institutions and museums can do a disservice to art by giving it that false importance by putting it on a pedestal rather than like kind of bringing it into the crowd and I think a lot of museums are making some changes and striving to do that better I have seen that which is great but I think I think that it, art should be knocked off of that pedestal whatever that kind of false pedestal is mm, yeah absolutely so you spoke to earlier your role in saying I work with this artist, not this artist, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which I feel like is is maybe the stickiest wicket in the gallerist's life. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. So I'd be curious in part because we have a lot of younger listeners, a lot mm-hmm. of people who are finishing BFAs and MFAs yeah. who listen to the podcast. So I'm sure one of the big questions you get is how you get into a gallery. Yeah. No, yeah. it's 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 a really important question because because there are it can seem intimidating because there are so many that express intimidation, yeah. right? So it's like how do you approach these people? I think the the number one place to start is just research, you know. Look at as much as you can. And if you find find a gallery that want first you think that my work would fit within the kind of context of what this gallery is doing because I can't tell you like how many people do the kind of buckshot approach and just like send their email to anybody and everybody and and it's like I don't get the sense they even looked at our website like did you even see what we did yeah you know so starting starting there where like if you present something to somebody they are like oh yeah I can see that there's a resonance already you know, I mean, well, I mean, first you have to get around the fact that some people may not even look at it and that's just going to be the case. You know, if you send an email to somebody, it's possible that it could just go to the delete box. But 
that's part of the whole process of, of finding somebody. I mean, getting out there into your community and, and meeting people in galleries is, is now that we can kind of be in the world again, like do that, of course. But, you know, if you're looking in other cities, I mean, definitely find something that resonates with your work. Uh, and, you know, I, I would ask them how they want work to be submitted. Do you, one, do you, are you reviewing portfolios? Do you ever look at new artists? How do you want that submitted? Because some people want something physical. Maybe they just want a website. Maybe they want it. I don't know. Maybe they want slides. But like, I think, because for me personally, I like just getting a, an email where I can look at their website. Just send me your website, like resumes, fine. Like I'll look at that. But like, I get way more just out of seeing images. Yeah. So that's for me. I just, I'll just look at the, look at the website. And then don't be afraid to follow up, you know, like I think for us with sales, even it's like when I, I tend to follow up until I get a hard no, Yeah. you know, yeah. if I don't hear back, I'll send them another email in two weeks, Yeah. you know, and just keep following up. I, I think that that's, that rings really true for my experience as well, because, and even my experience as a collector where I will maybe see something at a fair and I'll be excited about it. And I'll express interest and then they follow up and I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to get my life back together from the trip. Mm -hmm. And then two weeks later, it shows up again and I'm on another trip. And then three months later, they say, hey, we're wrapping up our financial quarter and I'm closing out open leads just straight up like that. And then I'll be like, oh, my God, yes. Mm -hmm. You know, so it really just you never know why someone hasn't responded to you. It's a great point. And and if they really don't want to hear from you, they can tell you. Right, right, <laughs> you know? totally. Yeah, I, I think that's a great point because there's, there's, we're all, we're all busy people and like doing things, and there's other things that take precedence in other parts of our lives. So, yeah, it, it, it may not be anything like you're thinking, like, oh, they don't like my work. It could not, may not be that at all. Yeah. So yeah, it's a great point. And so. What do you look for? How do you know when mm -hmm. either you meet an artist in your travels, if you get a submission and you see the reproductions of the work through photography, mm -hmm. what makes you know, all right, this is someone who mm -hmm. needs to be in my space, in my life yeah. and in concert with yeah. the other artists. Right. And, and it's interesting because sometimes those can be two different contemplations. Mm. Like, number one, it has to move me. And that, much like the, the curation question of like, it's like, how do you know? I don't know. You just know. And so, number one, it has to move me. And that's, that's how it kind of goes into my file cabinet in my brain. And how it works within the context of a gallery is a completely different conversation. Because there's so much good work out there, but certainly it doesn't necessarily fit within the filter of, of what this gallery is, you know? And, and that's something I'm still learning. Echo Amano has kind of, it's been around for four years. It's got a nice sort of rhythm and hum about it. We have a nice group of artists that we're already working with. So, and sometimes we'll work with a new artist, but it's kind of got an established identity already. And, and so this is coming up for me more now here at, at, at Echo Gallery. We have a group show that, that I'm working on in, in March and 
And I just keep asking myself, what is our filter? Like, what are we looking for? Mm -hmm. What is the chemistry here that works? You know, right now it's still an open question, but, but it's, it's kind of like what you asked earlier around curation is like waiting for that kind of inner confirmation of like, oh, this works. And that feeling of like, oh, these work great together. So first of all, I have to love it. And and, and that too, like I mentioned earlier, has become a process of trusting that that my own sense and my own compass is good enough to go off of, right, you know, yeah. and, and honestly, I have nothing else. Like, I can't know how anybody's going to respond to a work. I can't know who's going to buy it. There's so many variables in the outside world that are out of my control. And so going off of what's moving me is really the only thing I can go off of. And, and it's been a process in learning how to trust that, you know? Yeah. I definitely know what you mean when it comes to wanting something in my life versus will it work in my gallery? Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I tend to collect very strange art. Mm-hmm. And I, I chalk it up to, I, maybe it was even something I heard in an Anthony Bourdain show or book that chefs will eat the strangest things. Because this this is what they're up to their eyeballs in. Mm-hmm. And so if you if you offer them an experience that they haven't seen before, when they're doing this 70 hours a week, they're going to dive in. Mm-hmm. And I think that my art collecting is kind of like that. Mm-hmm. So when I see something that's just completely unhinged <laughs> or just completely novel that I know if... I might know that if I was to put this in the gallery I was working for, I wouldn't sell a piece that month, mm-hmm. but I have to have it mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. For like, sure. almost for that very reason. So yeah, it is definitely two sides of the coin of the intuition that you have when you know this is, this is striking a chord within me mm-hmm. that is an unusual note. Mm-hmm. And then also, this is this is striking the chord of of what I'm building as a as an outward public experience. It's two two different things. And I think when it took me a while to learn in my curation process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's almost like bringing a new person into a family, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, will this person's vibe work within the context of this family? Because like you bring somebody new in and it changes the context, you know, so every time we choose to work with somebody else, it adds a new variable and it changes the dynamic of the whole. And so, so that's, it's, it's something to do with eyes wide open. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and something that I always found really difficult and maybe you do as well was just that balance between how many artists can I truly do right by versus how many artists I love in the world. And Mm -hmm. those numbers, unfortunately do not line up. Yeah. At all. Mm-hmm. And and so I think when it comes to having to be that gatekeeper, I think that does get a lot of negative connotations within the cultural context of the art world because people say, oh, I applied to all these galleries and nobody let me in. Yeah. And, oh, gallerists are just sitting on piles of money and taking mm. advantage of us, which, I, as we said, not, not true. <laughs> It's not, there's, there's maybe a few examples in the history of galleries that has been the case, Mm -hmm. but I've worked at a lot of galleries and it's not true. Mm -hmm. It's not true in any of the ones I've been involved in. And so, so that, that, that deciding that curation Mm -hmm. among who you work with, I think it can be as much sort of 
for the protection of that artist because if you're already at max you can't take on another person and also for the protection of the artist that you've already made promises to Mm -hmm. so if their work will as you say change the dynamic of the family in a negative way not because there's anything inherently negative about that new artwork but just because of the way they would play together Mm -hmm. that's not right either totally yeah i've definitely seen seen it and been in spaces where there's 50 to 60 artists and like you can't adequately represent artists in that in that way i mean what what typically happens is you have your the five that end up being the money makers and then the 30 to 40 that will probably be gone within a couple years you know that just kind of churn and and i don't really want that if we if we decide to represent somebody and that's actually a a sort of another conversation like we want to be committed so one of the things that we we do here not all the artists that we show on the walls are represented artists so we have four artists that we represent and we've decided to make deeper commitments to those artists and the other artists that we show we certainly want to support and we sell their work but we don't have contracts they're free to show wherever they want but with the represented artists we've introduced like profit sharing which i don't know that any other galleries are doing so that is when we make profit (laughs) <laughs> we're, we're one year in, haven't got there yet, but that's on the, that's on the table and having somebody that we can work with to help with like say grant writing or museum submissions, or if there's an application to a residency, an artist may need help with that. Somebody who has experience on from for-profit to nonprofit can step in and assist. So we have that kind of support available and uh, yeah, working with artists just on and other projects that are outside of just like a sort of transactional basis. Mm-hmm. You know, we really want want to create an environment that is actually supportive. That so like if we are asking for a kind of geographical exclusivity, or you know, just just th- that we're working for our commission. Like we're the ones making the commission. We're not paying a commission. Mm-hmm. That's the artist money. Yeah, you know, we're working for that. Ooh, I love that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. And it it gets to sort of a broader question that I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, which really has to do with the ways in which galleries have changed mm-hmm. with the internet. Mm-hmm. And where at one point they were kind of the untouchable, omnipresent force that was the only way you could sell your work. You could do that or you could do craft fairs Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or maybe I don't know have a newsletter if anyone tried to do Mm -hmm. that but of course the internet changed everything Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and things have been shifting a lot in galleries and and so when you're talking about you earning that commission as an instant as a a gallery Mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense to me because some artists if they just want to make and sell and cash a check they don't need galleries for it anymore Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so I guess it's sort of twofold, you know, one is, is now it's just one fold. Do you think galleries are ever going to become obsolete? As long as they can be flexible, they won't be. I think it, 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 it's great because it can't the having access to a wider audience through, through the net. It's like, it, it it's works really well for certain types of personalities. Like if yeah. you enjoy marketing your work and, and doing that aspect of it, then like, man, awesome. Like go for it. 
you know, and there's a lot of artists that just, I want to be in the studio. I don't want to touch the business side. I don't want to think about collecting my, I don't want to do sales. I hate talking to people. Like There's yeah. plenty of artists that are like that. <laughs> and so a gallery might be useful in that situation. And I, and again, I think it comes back to that relationship and that trust and like being able to like have open and on, honest conversations about things like that, whether, you know, if, if you want to keep selling on your website and you want to have a gallery, like just being open about all that kind of stuff. And, and I think one of the shifts that's happening through that is, is thinking that, you know, we, we own anybody that we own an artist that like, if, you know, someone wants to have a different arrangement that they can go elsewhere or do it a different way. Like galleries don't own artists. You know, Mm -hmm. and I think that maybe classically or traditionally that has been the kind of vibration of of the gallery artist relationship is that this that we own you, Mm -hmm. you know, because we have that channel to the rich people who can buy your work, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and that's not as true anymore. Yeah. 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 And I think it'll be really interesting to see how it evolves in 20, 30 years when our dear older collectors who they have no interest in looking for art on Instagram. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily fully understand how to open their email Mm -hmm. even Mm -hmm. just because again, it's like, it's a, it's a generational thing. I'm sure when I'm 78, there will be tons of things that I have. AR headsets that we're going to go view galleries. (laughs) It's like, no way. Get it off my head. (laughs) No, exactly. Exactly. I did one when I was in Bangkok recently Uh and I was, I was like, no, I want to go back to the real world, <laughs> but all that kind of thing. And, and then how do things like the socials kind of, if you forgive the word, sort of groom us to be our own marketing team mm-hmm. from a very young age. Mm-hmm. And so I think that idea of self-promotion isn't going to seem as foreign mm-hmm. to the artists who are being born now, mm-hmm. who are going to be creating great work in 30 years. Sure. And and so the, the, I think the collectors are going to move more digitally and I think that the artists are going to be more comfortable with being a public facing persona because we all are strangely public facing personas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think the, the answer to what a gallery does in that context is what you were speaking to earlier is really providing that, that true support of grant writing and, and freeing up time for the studio because just because you can market yourself mm-hmm. doesn't mean that you want to. Yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Or dealing with collectors who can be terrible. They can be terrible. I'm sure, I'm sure no one who's ever collected from either of your galleries has ever been terrible. I'm only speaking <laughs> from the eye. But you know, this kind of like this like, well, if I buy two, can I get this much off? Mm-hmm. If I buy three, can I get this much off? Well, I only want that too. Would you honor the discount that you mm-hmm. told me for the three now mm-hmm. and then ghost mm-hmm. you for six months? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a brain drain, mm-hmm. I think, particularly for someone who maybe has a more personal connection mm-hmm. with the work because it is theirs. And yeah, so it's it's. A, I think we're at a super interesting time. We're, we're in probably what's going to end up in the long view being maybe sort of half a century of real gallery transition. Yeah. And, and I think everything you, you spoke to is the reasons why I don't think they will go away. Cause I think there's that. And then I think there's also the element of gathering, mm-hmm. physically gathering, seeing work in person, 
bringing a date somewhere where you can have something to talk about that's not reality TV. Mm-hmm. All of that is extremely powerful. And I, I like to think that the more we get pulled into the digital sphere, the more in person shaking an artist's hand, asking them a question, seeing the brush strokes, seeing the the texturing of a of the line of a wood block as it's sort of been embossed into the paper. All of that, I think, will become more meaningful. Yeah, there's really no substitution to seeing work in person. I mean, we've got these little screens, which are great to be able to get a sense of something from afar. But like, man, you just you can't get it from a screen. You can't. (laughs) I mean, for me, it's just been my experience. Like, I I think a great example in in school, I remember seeing Jackson Pollock paintings in the book, right? And like being like, okay, Jackson Pollock paintings, whatever. I didn't really give it much thought, you know. And the first time I saw it in person, it, it, it just blew me away. I had to sit. I had to look at it. I played and I sat in front of this thing for a half hour just looking at a single painting, just letting my eyes play over it. And, and it was, it was such a contrasting experience from seeing a representation of something, you know, it's, I think that the, yeah, I don't think being able to see work in, in public, in space, in person will ever go away and museums can't fill that space completely. Mm-hmm. You know, we need spaces where, where people can just like, Hey, I just completed this body of work. Can we post up? You know, mm-hmm. we need that. Yeah, absolutely. I had the same experience with Rothko, mm, where I just mm-hmm. was like, what is it? So some smears? Okay. You know, when you're mm-hmm. seeing it two inches high in your textbook and then just being gobsmacked when I saw them in person. Yeah. So it's, yeah, there's nothing like it. As I sort of speaking of, of gathering, can you talk to the, the programming that mm-hmm. you have in the mm-hmm. galleries? Because I think that is a really big part of I think the success and the dynamic nature of your galleries, but also why that's important, you know, why not just have a website and a storehouse, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I I think for me personally, I'd get bored, but I think like (laughs) an art space as an art space and not just a commercial space, I think is really important to have life happening within, within an art space is, is really important. And I don't think there's any reason why a commercial gallery can't do that to have additional programming that isn't directly related to commerce, you know? So, yeah. So we have a quarterly series that we call quick draw that we invite a different person each time to bring in 12 artists to sit down and create works on the spot. And we invite a DJ and have a bar and have a little party and the work is all under a hundred bucks. So we make sure the artist knows that the artist gets 80% of the sales. So we're, we're not really making anything. And we just want to hold the space to have, have life happen, to have creation happening in front of people. And, and it, it is really incredible to, to see the responses people have to art being made in person you know, because a lot of times the art shows up on the wall and it's like, poof, it just appeared. Yeah. Did it come out of a vacuum? Where did this come from? <laughs> you know, and to, and for people to actually see it being made, it's like it gives it another context. It gives it it just gives it that another sense of relationship to the maker. So having having that has been really important to to have life happening within a space and not just transactions. So there's there's that series. We've done a couple of poetry events, artist talks after openings, things like that. So 
we're open to other ideas. We did a dance performance last year. Nice. Yeah. So we want, and it doesn't have to necessarily be relevant to the exhibition that's up on the wall. Just like, you know, what somebody asked us recently if we could do a speakeasy down in the basement. <laughs> I won't say yes or no, whether that's happening, the questionable <laughs> legal status, but things like that, where it's like, what can we do? This is an art space. It should be creative, you know? Yeah. And I think immediately goes to that breakdown of what you're talking about at the exclusivity and inclusivity mm-hmm. of of getting to show some of the messiness of making getting people in a space that's not directly funneling them into buying work mm-hmm. but just saying hey you can come in even if you're not buying anything just to activate the space with your presence and your energy and your eyes and mm-hmm. your ears and your your essence, I think, is that's powerful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, it, yeah, like you said, it just comes back to this is something that's human. Like humans love creativity, whether that's in the context of making an art object or, or anything, as Rick Rubin would say, mm-hmm. that, that we're all creators. You know, we're all making things, you know. Yeah. Yeah. What are you looking forward to? What's mm-hmm. on the horizon for mm-hmm. for the galleries and for you? Hmm. Well, it's still, I think it's still exciting that this is an evolving concept of what it is. Like, I still don't know what Echo Gallery is yet. And that's both scary and fun. Like I said, with this group show that's happening in March, I'm like, what <laughs> am I doing? Who should be in this? What is happening? But that's that's all the whole process of it coming together. So I'm looking forward to continuing to be revealed what what this space is. The So we're, we're as, as things have gotten a little bit more established, we've been able to hire some great people which has allowed a little bit more space for me to work more directly with artists. So I'm looking forward to spending more time in artist studios and creating deeper relationships with people and not necessarily artists that we'd show. Like I'm coming back to that question you asked about finding a gallery. Like I sometimes wish more people would ask me to do studio visits and because I love doing that, whether or not it's going to work within this gallery, like I, like we said, like there's tons of art that we love that isn't necessarily going to work in our project, but we want to be around it. So I'm looking forward to doing more of that. Of course, great exhibitions coming up. They're all great. But yeah, yeah I'm looking forward to spending more time with artists. That's wonderful. Yeah, absolutely. And where can people find you out there on the web and the socials mm-hmm. and all the digital ways. So our Echo Amano, our printmaking focus gallery is echoamano.org and I think the handles in all the places are echoamano.org echoamano.org and then the Echo Gallery is echo.gallery is the website and the handles on socials are echo.gallery Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. I've had a really wonderful time talking to you about gallery stuff. And thank you for the work that you do, for being conscious and conscionable about the way you enter into the relationships and show great work for us to see. Thank you. I really love talking about it. So thanks for the opportunity. If you liked today's episode, we have a Patreon, where you can help us keep the lights on and get bonus content. Like Shop Talk Shorts, where our editor, Timothy Pauschak, digs deep on materials, processes, and techniques with past guests. Also, if monetary support isn't in the cards right now, you can leave a review for us on your podcast listening app of choice, 
or buy something from one of our sponsors and tell them Hello Print Friend sent you. But as always, the very, very best thing you can do to support this podcast is by listening and sharing with your fellow print friends around the world. And that's our show for this week. Join me again next week when my guest will be Jeremy Watt. We talk about how a trip to China changed his artistic practice forever, best techniques when communicating with creative partners if you're also a creative person, the difference between graphic design and quote-unquote fine art, and the fun and stress of creating block portraits of friends and family. You won't want to miss it. This episode, like all episodes, was written and produced by me, Miranda Metcalf, with editing by Timothy Pauschak and music by Joshua Weber. I'll see you next week.